You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We're learning more about an airline tragedy involving a Boeing 737 MAX 8 that crashed shortly after takeoff from Ethiopia, killing everyone on board. Tonight, we know one of the victims is from B.C. Micah Meesent of Courtney was an Indigenous relations analyst with B.C. Parks. Meesent, one of 18 Canadians killed. And Tanya Beja has more on the victims and why Canada has yet to join other countries who have grounded the planes as the scrutiny of Boeing's most popular jet intensifies. Investigators comb through the debris while recovery teams carry bodies from the crash scene. The partially damaged black box from flight ET-302 was located and may offer answers about what caused the plane to plummet. Fire was coming from its tail. It went straight into the ground with its nose, says this witness. Ethiopia in mourning as all 157 people on board died, including 18 Canadians. Six members of a Brampton family were killed on their way to visit relatives in Kenya. I lost my parents, I lost my sister, so uh, I don't have anybody else. It was supposed to be a trip of a lifetime for 24-year-old Danielle Moore, who was headed to a UN conference on the environment. Was one of those people that just inspires you to want to do more yourself. You know, she was just such a bright light. Joining Moore from British Columbia was Micah Meesent, an avid sailor who was Métis and grew up in the Comox Valley. He worked with the BC Parks Indigenous Relations team and had plans to study law. On social media, the tributes are pouring in. Your love of nature, your boundless energy, and your kindness are lessons I'll keep with me, writes one friend. As a proud Métis person, he didn't want to focus on racism and on negativity and, and critique that is often part of those conversations. He wanted to demonstrate goodwill and, and happy cross-cultural interaction. And uh, that is something that was so heartening about him for future generations to think that that could be done. The Ethiopian Airlines plane crashed just six minutes after takeoff from Addis Ababa. The company has since grounded all Boeing 737 MAX 8 planes, China doing the same. But we have taken this as an extra safety precaution. The MAX 8 is the model that also went down in Indonesia last October, minutes into the flight. Following that crash, Transport Canada required airlines to put new procedures in place and implement additional crew training. Yes, people are focusing on, on what happened in Indonesia five months ago, but this plane already has millions of miles of, uh, of, of uh, flying. It's important for us to get to the bottom of it. For now, Air Canada and WestJet are still using the MAX 8. Tanya Beja, Global News. The 737 is Boeing's best-selling series and news of two crashes involving the MAX 8 within months is raising some serious concerns just south of the border where the model is built. King 5's Glenn Farley joins us now from Seattle. And Glenn, how's this affecting the perception of Boeing there? Now, late this afternoon, the Federal Aviation Administration, the big regulator here in the United States, issued a new document. It's called the Continued Airworthiness Notification to the international community. Basically, what is happening here since Boeing is an American company to try and make this airplane safer? On the Renton flight line, almost every 737 awaiting paint and delivery is a 737 MAX. 
Since deliveries began in 2017, the company has handed over nearly 375 of them. And get this, another 5,000 are on order. Boeing has a lot riding on this plane. Now, a second accident of a MAX 8, 157 killed six minutes after takeoff outside of Ethiopia's capital. Just months since the late October crash of a Lion Air MAX 8 in Indonesia killing 189. It becomes a perception issue. Michelle Mouluzeau studies aerospace and defense issues and, uh, for Air Insight Research in Bellevue. So it's a good chunk of, of Boeing's production revenues, jobs, uh, margins, you know, for the next, uh, uh, for, you know, 13 to, to 14 years. So it's, it's, it's obviously a, a critical product. So where do we stand? In the Indonesian accident, the focus quickly zeroed in on the AOA, or angle of attack sensor, a little wind direction vane near the nose of the plane. In the case of the MAX, it was connected to a new automatic system that would force the nose of the plane down in order to avoid a stall. But pilots complain the existence of that system was not in the flight manual. In the case of the Indonesian jet, a preliminary report showed how the pilots were trying to pull the nose up as the plane was trying to push the nose down. But the solution was to simply turn off two switches at the back of the control console and fly the plane by hand. While we're still awaiting the official conclusion in the Indonesian accident, the FAA issued an airworthiness directive about the system known as MCAS, how to fix it and deal with any problems in the air. What both crashes have in common is that they got into trouble within minutes of takeoff, but it seems inconceivable that the Ethiopian pilots would not have known what to do, which opens up the possibilities of other causes, which is hoped the two flight data recorders will give investigators strong clues about in the coming days. So what does that new FAA document include? Well, one of the things they're talking about is limiting that MCAS system's ability to force the nose down, saying it can only take it so far, and also involves a lot more training for pilots. Back to you, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Glenn. Well, one last note on this from those who had a plane to catch today. Reaction from travelers at YVR was mixed. While many admitted they thought about checking the model of the plane they were expecting to be on, that's about as far as they got. I don't really pay too much attention to the planes. I just get on them, and I, once I got on it, I got the uh, magazine from the back, in the back of the seat, and I just checked to look at the different planes that uh, Air Canada was flying. I did check to see if Canada had banned, had grounded those um, planes. And when I learned they hadn't, I decided to trust them. Somewhat concerned, but uh, I mean, I think, I think the risks are fairly low. It's a little bit frightening to have two accidents happen within a six-month span on the same type of brand-new aircraft. And it comes down to, if you are, what are you going to do? Are you going to change planes? I don't know. Now, a cyber attack on a Richmond warehouse has caused a major ripple effect through B.C.'s liquor industry. Container World, the largest warehousing partner for the liquor distribution branch, refused to give in to the hackers' ransom demands. And John Waugh explains how that is impacting private liquor stores, restaurants and pubs. The wines are just starting to trickle back in. Shelves of spirits still littered with empty spaces. BC's private liquor stores are in general all small mom and pop businesses all around the province. Uh, and they can't afford to not have $50,000 of inventory show up. The backlog in booze deliveries 
blamed on a cyber attack on Container World in Richmond, one of the BC liquor distribution branch's largest warehouse partners. This had never happened to us before, and um, you know, uh, it, it certainly took us by surprise. The hackers demanded a ransom. Container World says it couldn't take the risk. We chose to not pay any uh, demand ransoms and uh, to take the appropriate action to protect our systems. That meant a complete shutdown and costly system rebuild, which resulted in a dry spell of deliveries that had a ripple effect for restaurants, pubs and private liquor stores. It's incredibly frustrating from a business perspective, but more the, the human perspective. I mean, these are people's lives. This is how people, you know, pay their rents, feed their children. The cyber attack is being investigated, but it's still unknown where the threat was from and why Container World was in its crosshairs. This is the first time I've heard of this kind of attack happening in the liquor industry, but it really shows you how exposed our IT networks are around the world. After nearly a month, Container World says all deliveries should be caught up in the next couple of days. Once this has happened to you, it certainly uh, makes you a little bit more aware of things you need to do within a company to protect yourself. A hard lesson for the BC liquor industry about the dangers lurking somewhere online. John Hua, Global News. A Chilliwack man is now charged in connection with a deadly shooting. 42-year-old Christine Denham was found with a gunshot wound inside a home on Victor Street late last month. She was taken to hospital but died from her injuries a few days later. Investigators today confirm 41-year-old Shane Travis Hughes was arrested late last week. He's now charged with second-degree murder. Investigators say Denman and Hughes were known to each other. Independent stores along Robson Street are few and far between, and now several more of the last holdouts will disappear this summer. The shops, some of which have been there for 30 years or more, given eviction notices to make way for a new development. And Aaron MacArthur explains why relocating will be a challenge. It's the end of the road for Simon's Bike Shop, at least in this block of Robson. Despite a loyal clientele and strong sales, the store here between Granville and Seymour being forced to move. It's like cheers. You walk in, you know the, you know the owner, you know the mechanics. Um, you know, we've been here since close to 1986. Most of the stores on this block are fixtures. The India Gate restaurant just celebrated 41 years in business. All coming down to make way for a commercial tower. Last year this property was 18 million and now it's 28 million. That's a big jump. I mean, if it wasn't a building going down, maybe it would have been the taxes that would have pushed us in. There are seemingly plenty of options. The number of vacancies along Robson, startling. Storefronts empty, going out of business signs, sprouting up everywhere. But despite the choice, there's no place for small business owners to go. The rent on Robson Street hasn't slumped at all. Ro Robson and Granville are impossible. Um, basically, for any small merchant like myself, the, re the rents are just utterly unaffordable. And, I mean, if you look around, uh, along Robson Street, there's a lot of empty storefronts for the very reason that nobody can afford to go in Christy there. Christy Scott from Time Frame Gallery pays $17,000 a month for her space. Across the street, a new storefront destined to be a cannabis shop is rumored to be asking $56,000 a month for half the space. It's all been replaced by corporate. So whether it's the big, big corporations back east or the big corporations from the states. Even corporations are feeling the squeeze. The local shops have until the 31st of July to find a new home. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
Well, it is time to talk about the weather because there is a snowfall warning. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is here now with the details. I don't mean to sound disappointed that we need to bring you in, but this is <laughs> no, something no. that we, we've Believe had to me. deal with a few of these so far this winter. Yeah, I think everyone's completely done with this. We're like, no more snowfall warnings, uh, especially um, this time of year and after the beautiful weekend we had. All right, so the temperatures are starting to drop. We are watching rain push in through the afternoon hours. Temperatures have certainly dropped, but just in the last 50 15 minutes we've had a little bit of a warm-up in one area so we're certainly watching this closely the trend is that the temperatures will continue to drop into the evening hours and we will see the rain transition to snow this is how much we're expecting areas north of the Fraser including North Surrey anywhere from 0 to 15 that 15 really being over higher terrain areas south of the Fraser very likely you won't see anything more likely just rain now this will ease off overnight but there are a few key areas that still could see snow tomorrow morning and i'll show you which when i come back all right we'll check in a little bit later thanks very much christy okay if springing forward over the weekend has left you with very little spring in your step today there may be some good news last week premier john horgan said in order to stop the flip-flop on the clocks and stay on daylight saving time the U.S. would have to be on board. Well, as Richard Zussman reports, the movement now has one ringing endorsement. If you felt a little caught off guard by your alarm clock this morning, you weren't alone. Oh, I didn't have a hard time getting up on Sunday. I had a hard time getting up today because today it's a work day. With the clocks ahead an hour, waking up at 7 a.m., feeling a lot like 6 a.m. But the twice annual seasonal clock change may be a thing of the past. President Donald Trump chiming in. Making daylight saving time permanent is okay with me, he tweeted. And that could mean British Columbia soon follow suit. It certainly will make a difference if our neighbours down south go uh, to, to not making the change. Premier John Horgan sending a letter to the governors of the states of California, Oregon and Washington about working together. In the United States, states must get congressional approval to make a switch. All three states have legislation looking for a permanent change. And with the president's blessings, this could mean the whole West Coast, including B.C., is closer to a change. They're looking at perhaps getting rid of daylight savings time, so we're having those conversations. It's not just feeling groggy and having a hard time getting up that's affected by these seasonal time changes. ICBC has also seen an increase in the number of crashes on the road. And people have even failed to show up for work. I think I missed work. <laughs> I was supposed to go to work yeah. and I didn't go. ICBC is in the midst of gathering more comprehensive data. But in 2016, the public insurer sent out a survey in which one third of drivers admitted to feeling less alert after the time change. Especially in the morning, like their productivity is lower because um, it takes a little while for them to wake up. As to when getting rid of the twice annual switch could happen, only time will tell. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Right now, though, RCMP are releasing surveillance video, hoping it will lead them to an alleged dog napper. Take a look. It happened over the weekend in the 2400 block of Taylor Crescent in Kelowna. RCMP say a female suspect called over the 18-month-old golden retriever and then appeared to open the gate and walk away with the dog. Investigators say the suspect has blonde hair and was wearing a dark jacket and a white toque. Police are asking anyone who knows the identity of the woman or maybe even where Atlas the dog is to contact them. 
A Victoria woman has launched a grassroots campaign to raise awareness of a province-wide shortage of blood, but not human blood. It's canine blood. And Kylie Stanton has the personal crisis that sparked her campaign and what pet owners can do to help. Here's your teddy. Like many dogs, Angus loves his toys, his walks, and his owner. He's just a big old puppy. But this six-year-old purebred Rottweiler is struggling with an autoimmune disease. Thrombocytopenia? Tamblin first discovered something was wrong early last week when Angus left large amounts of blood in his stool and an injury to his leg didn't seem to improve. Every time it would start to heal up and then it wouldn't. The only way to treat his quickly deteriorating condition was with several blood transfusions. The only problem, there was one unit available on Vancouver Island. You really don't know about the need until you're going through something like this, unfortunately. But a friend decided to get the word out, posting a plea on the Facebook trading group This and That, asking for dog blood donations. So many people came forward, some that were registered dog donors and some that were not yet registered that were passionate about helping in any way they could. The response itself was really overwhelming. Angus was able to get two transfusions, one with the available unit and the other with a registered donor dog via live transfusion. But there is a criteria dogs must meet in order to become a donor. Only medium to large dogs qualify. Much like humans, you have to be an adequate body weight. Secondary to be healthy. And much like humans, there is a need. So there's a blood shortage in humans just like in animals. I just think it's probably less publicized that we need it in animals. Branter hopes to change that once her clinic opens its doors this April, eventually creating a blood bank for dogs and cats in need. In the meantime, owners can see if their animals qualify and potentially register them through their veterinarian. Come here, boy. Because Angus isn't the first to receive the treatment, and he won't be the last. We want to get out there more, help uh, Angus through the situation and help other people in the future. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. All right, with spring break coming up fast, it's travel time for a lot of families. But how many people think of insurance while they're away? Our Consumer Matters reporter Andrew is here with some tips on how to make sure that getaway doesn't cost you a fortune if things go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Which means you have to take the time and read the fine print of your policies. Thanks so much, Chris. If you're traveling even on a day trip to the U.S., you should have travel insurance before you leave the country. If you're flying, it's recommended you have flight cancellation, trip interruption, and lost luggage insurance in case you face unexpected disruptions. And if you plan on renting a vehicle, make sure you have the proper insurance coverage, especially for countries outside the U.S. Now, when purchasing insurance, take the time, as I mentioned, and read the insurance policies carefully. Know what you are getting. Ask for the full policy, not the brochure, and ask questions if you are confused about the terms and conditions. When it comes to pre-existing conditions, the Government of Canada suggests you ask the company to explain the definition, limitations, and restrictions of any pre-existing conditions and tests and treatments you may have undergone. If you have insurance, through a credit card or through your work. Make sure you understand what is covered and what is not. Travel experts say credit card policies and work policies typically have all sorts of limitations. The two most important things that uh, I feel that people should look at are the limits for coverage, because many people don't realize that there are limits, particularly with work policies. Um, they may have a 100,000 cap lifetime and people don't realize that that's to cover everybody who's covered under that policy. So if something uh, happens where it costs 200000 
you would have to pay the difference. The other thing is the exemptions. So every single policy has them. The biggest thing you need to be looking for are what are pre-existing medical conditions that are not covered. Uh, most aren't. And the other thing would be if you're doing some sort of activity, like you're jumping out of a plane or you're going on a safari or you're riding in a bike race, they may be covered in some policies and they may not in others. So remember, it's up to you to understand your insurance policy and its exclusion. So take the time to read the fine print. Some insurance companies will not honour medical claims made for injuries suffered in a country for which the Government of Canada has issued an official travel advisory. For more travel insurance information, go to travel.gc.ca. It's a great resource. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thanks very much. Now, one of Metro Vancouver's top tourist attractions is facing a fight over its expansion plans. The battle over the Capilano Suspension Bridge isn't about the attraction itself, but where all of its customers are going to park, Catherine Urquhart reports. Tourists and locals alike love Capilano Suspension Bridge. 1.2 million people visit it every year, but neighbors fear it could become too popular. They don't want to see a Disneyland here, and we don't want to see a Disneyland here. Our owner is very careful, and she has made it this beautiful park that, that's become very, very popular worldwide. Concerns are growing as the Capilano Group plans to increase parking by tearing down adjacent townhouses they purchased. It would add 80 to 100 parking spots to the existing 272 spaces. It's a three-year temporary plan. Longer term, they want a permanent parkade on the site. We were also concerned about their idea they wanted to build an underground uh, garage, either two stories or three stories, so that would be right on my property line. Capilano Group says its plans would improve congestion in the area, which neighbours say is often a major problem. I don't mind people coming, but the traffic backs up, and so people have a hard time coming home. That driving up the road, they were stuck couldn't move and took them half an hour to get home instead of a few minutes. The benefit of having the 80 to 100 extra stalls allows for us also to create a right-hand turn lane so that people who are traveling up Capilano Road are now going into a lane in advance of the entrance to the parking lot and so it takes them out of the through traffic. Plans to demolish the empty townhomes and build more parking will be submitted to North Vancouver District Council in the next few weeks with a vote to follow. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. People driving through Cologne, Germany gasp as a storm blows part of a roof onto the road. Little did they know what was in store for them. Another part of the same roof crashes right down on top of them, nearly crushing their car. Thankfully, both were unharmed, but they had to be freed by firefighters. The storm caused widespread damage and killed another driver when a tree fell on his car. And this man in London might want to buy a lottery ticket, or maybe he's used up all of his luck. One second after he passes that storefront, a brick wall collapses onto the sidewalk right behind him. Gale force winds and heavy rain over the weekend might have been a factor in the wall's collapse. A giant drug bust at the port of New York and New Jersey is the second largest ever. During a routine search of a container, U.S. Customs intercepted more than 1,400 kilograms of cocaine, 
worth more than $100 million Canadian. The drugs were found behind boxes of dried fruit from Colombia. They're now trying to track down the source of the shipment. A woman screams in pain at an Arizona zoo after being attacked by a jaguar. The zoo says she climbed over a barrier and stood right next to the fence of the jaguar enclosure to take a selfie when the big cat clawed her arm. Today she apologized for her actions, but also suggested the zoo should look at moving the barrier back further. The jaguar will not be euthanized. In health matters tonight, the federal government is proposing new regulations to make traveling easier for people with disabilities. But as Grace Key reports, some say the new rules won't go far enough. For people with disabilities, traveling can be a challenge. Everything from curbside drop-off, check-in, security, to boarding can vary from each airport, train station and bus terminal. But soon, that's about to change. As a person with a disability and someone with a love for traveling and a love for independence, I believe these measures are a game changer. The proposed regulations would affect large airlines, rail, ferries, buses and terminals. It deals with communication, training, accessibility and service. Terminals, for instance, would need to help a passenger get from the curbside to check in. But critics argue the regulations don't go far enough. Swoop and Flair and some other uh, startup airlines that may pop up in the coming years will not be subject to those regulations. So if a passenger with disabilities wants to fly on those airlines, they will be completely at the airlines mercy. So there will be a second wave, a second round of regulatory development to look at those smaller carriers. But we thought it was important to move forward with this package, which will cover more than nine out of 10 travelers now. Also, if a person with a disability requires a support person or a service dog, carriers would have to provide adjacent passenger seating at no extra cost, provided the travel is within Canada. The proposed regulations fail to provide passengers with disabilities, the one person, one fare type of protection on flights to and from Canada. They only restate, codify the existing rights with respect to domestic flights. The regulations would also protect people with allergies. Carriers would have to establish a buffer zone upon request. There's a 30-day comment period for the proposed regulations. They'll be finalized in the summer. Grace Key, Global News. Scientists have been studying pollution in Metro Vancouver for decades, but some new research is remarkable for a couple of reasons. UBC scientists have come up with a pollution fingerprint for Metro Vancouver by partnering with the hardest working members of the insect community. Linda Aylesworth reports. Few people are as comfortable around honeybees as Julia Common. They're going to go down and get some honey. She's been a beekeeper most of her life, but it was only a few years ago when she started caring for them in the city, the downtown east side to be exact. People used to make uh, comments about what might be in the honey, and it did get me to thinking, hmm, I wonder what is in the honey when it's urban honey. She took her question to UBC. And I said, I can help. So I took 10 samples and analyzed trace metals concentration in the honey. It was with this inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometer that Professor Weiss and PhD candidate Kate Smith did the analysis. We're looking at metals like lead, cadmium, zinc, titanium. Those sorts of metals are associated with 
human activity. The theory, if such pollutants are in the environment, they should be in the honey. The first excellent news was the honey of high for humanity is very clean. But while the levels were far too low to be of concern health-wise, their presence was scientifically significant. So they launched a study sampling honey from six lower mainland communities over four years. We found that the honey from the downtown neighborhoods has elevated levels of certain metals. And those metals differed from community to community, like fingerprints. In the end, what they're developing is more than a way to determine how pure honey is, but how pollutants are increasing in our growing cities. What we need to do now is develop uh, reliable, effective and affordable environmental monitoring tools that we can apply in the future. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Amazing stuff. And this, a B.C. Hydro employee gets a surprise when he returns to his truck. What's inside right after the forecast? We'll check in once again with Christy. And, yes, yeah, snow surrounds us, and some people get more than others. Yes, absolutely. So that snowfall warning still in place. This is a scene in Whistler right now. You can see significant snow. They're included in that snowfall warning and it extends all the way down through Highway 99 right into Squamish. So anywhere south of Squamish, it's a little bit iffy whether it would be rain or snow, uh, but likely overnight it will transition. And this is Sutton Pass towards Tofino, you can see. So certainly this is a higher elevation event. Uh, we did have a number of flakes in this tower cam shot just about an hour ago, but but not much now. Uh, so the rain or the snow seems to be coming and going, as is that are the temperatures. So we're still at one degree in the Burnaby Coquitlam area, but we've climbed back up to three degrees in North Van. I think we'll continue to see those temperatures drop as we head into the evening hours, but we're still looking at just areas north of the Fraser and mainly higher elevations. Anywhere above about 100 uh, meters, we could see anywhere from zero to 15 centimeters at 15, likely in those usual suspects, SFU, Westwood Plateau. And then the further south you go and closer to the water, likely zero to maybe two, most likely two, where, or sorry, zero, where you would see flakes falling in the sky and then nothing accumulating on the ground. It could be completely wet. By tomorrow morning, we're still concerned for those of you out in the Fraser Valley. You could still see a number of flurries, whereas conditions will ease off across Metro Vancouver, a chance of showers, but likely uh, the um, situation has ended. We're really expecting it to ease overnight. Uh, Vancouver Island, anywhere from zero to five centimeters for you. The hardest hit regions will be Whistler, Squamish, and then over towards the North Shore and then East Fraser Valley into Hope. But the interior regions will also see snowfall. So areas that we're watching are um, the Grand Forks region, West Kootenai, and up into the Columbia area. So snowfall warning is in place for uh, the Highway 3 region, Kootenai Pass, 20 centimeters of snow. Meanwhile, as it has always been the case in the last several weeks, mainly clear across the north. We're really focusing in on the southern region. So snowfall overnight, changing to rain, and for the south coast, really conditions ease up tomorrow. So mostly dry tomorrow, a beautiful day on Wednesday, and gradually warming up as we head towards the weekend, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to. Great shot from Cornell, where it is still winter. Thanks to Melissa for that one. Great shot. Magpie and a horse, good buddies, apparently. All right, thanks, Christy, and thanks, Melissa. A B.C. Hydro employee had to pull out his phone over the weekend when he discovered a surprise guest in his truck. A raccoon made its way into the vehicle, finding a nice spot in the sun. It also found some lunches inside. 
He happily snacked away, clearly completely unconcerned about the man on the other side of the window with the camera phone. The raccoon relaxed for a while, even having a nap before leaving through the same open door he used to get in. He's making himself at home. Not to worry. Raccoons can't drive stick. No. <laughs> they don't want you to either. Squires here with sports. New, new youngster coming on well, the team here. We've been waiting for this guy. Uh, we'll have to wait a little bit longer before we see him, but we will see him probably before the end of the season. And when you think about it, the name Quinn has been around the Canucks right from the very first game in 1970 when Pat Quinn was on the Canucks blue line. Of course, we all know about Pat's contributions as both GM and coach. It got him a statue in front of Rogers Arena. There was Dan Quinn. He wasn't great, but he was all right at times. And he was one of the rotating captains in 1990-91. The latest Canuck Quinn, of course, is Quinn Hughes, who signed with Vancouver yesterday after leaving the University of Michigan. He will arrive in our city apparently on Wednesday. They thought tomorrow. Now they're saying Wednesday. And he's already got Canuck luck because he's going to arrive hurt. He took a shot off the ankle last week playing for Michigan. It looks like it's nothing serious, though. On Friday, he, he played, um, he blocked a shot, he, he's got a, you know, went and did the x-rays and stuff, everything was negative, but and he played Saturday um, sparingly, didn't play a lot. Uh, he won't play, though, till he's 100% healthy, so as um, soon as we get the word that he's, he's 100% and the swelling in his ankle goes down, then he'll be in the lineup. And when he is in the lineup, look for the Canucks to see if Quinn Hughes can give them a better power play, which at last check is the third worst in the NHL. I think, you know, there's some aspects of his game that he can step in and help our group right now. His ability to get back and transition the puck up ice, uh, beat that first four checker, you know, he could help us there. You know, that's something that he's, he's very good at and he could help us. Now, this will be an interesting offseason for the Vancouver Canucks. Will they re-sign Alex Edler? Negotiations seem to have hit a snag. He is eligible for free agency on July 1st, but as we all know, he wants to stay here. Will the Canucks try to trade any of their veterans? Because today, Jim Benning said he's not trading any of the kids. And what about free agency? Will Vancouver go after a big fish in the summertime? Now, of course, they thought Louis Erickson was one of those big fish when they signed him to a six-year deal. He's been a decent checker, not a bad penalty killer, but that's not why they brought him here. When we signed him, we expected him to, you know, be a consistent 20-goal scorer. Um, you know, he hasn't done that. Um, so that part of, you know, uh, that's been disappointing. But I think, you know, he's, he's one of our better penalty killers and he's filled a role for us. But, you know, that's something that we're going to sit down and talk to Louie and make a decision as to where he fits in going forward. Now, if we're reading between the lines of what Jim Benning just said, are the Canucks thinking of buying Louis Erickson out of his last three years because he has three left? at a cap hit of $6 million per year. But if they did buy him out, they would only save about $1.66 million in total, and most of his salary would still count against the salary cap. For example, if they bought him out this summer, instead of $6 million counting next year, $5.5. So not a lot of savings. He does have a no-trade clause as well. Okay. Oh, look at that. And a lot of uh, teams that face those guys are as helpless as infants. The Leafs included tonight in Toronto. Back from their Western road trip, Toronto gets buried by the Lightning. Tyler Johnson scoring there. Check this out. The Leafs are on the power play. Remember that. Leafs on the power play. 
and it's three on one down low for the Lightning. Cedric Paquette with the goal there. That was simple. 6-2 Tampa Bay over Toronto. We are still waiting on some numbers from the Rugby Sevens this past weekend. We can see that it cost Chris's voice. But Saturday was a sellout. Usually Sunday is not, but still a good-sized crowd in the final day. And I'm sure organizers are awash in profits from beer sales as well. South Africa ended up winning the whole event, which in itself was a winner again. You can see why World Rugby in Vancouver have signed up for four more years at BC Place. Best Canadian moment, the win over Fiji on Saturday. The first day was sold out, as we said. Not quite a sellout for Sunday, but the rugby people love the Vancouver fans. They say we are the only ones in all of the tournaments they have around the world who line up early for the morning games. The first one, of course, is just after 9 a.m. That's dedication. Quarterback Nick Foles has cashed in and revitalizing his career as the ultimate fill-in guy in Philadelphia. Signed a four-year, $88 million deal with the Jaguars, $50 million of which is guaranteed. Foles, twice in the last two years, has had to come off the bench for the injured Carson Wentz. And, of course, in 2018, it's one of the most memorable plays in Super Bowl history, helped the Eagles win their first Super Bowl title. Two Indian Wells, Milos Ronic. Marcos Giron of the U.S., third round. Ronich lost the first set, won the second set. Look at this uh, right down the line here, forehand. Ronich comes back to win, goes to the round of 16. Four Canadians still left. Uh, Oje Aliasimi, Shapovalov, and Andreescu are still all in this tournament. Raptors tonight against Cleveland. They lost big time against the Cavs. Serge Ibaka not happy with Marquise Chris. How unhappy? Well, how about this unhappy? Usually a basketball fights are one punch and run. This was more like two punches and leave. As we said, it was an easy win for Cleveland. And this is the Cleveland Cavaliers without LeBron James. And Kawhi Leonard did play, 126-101. I wonder Toronto wasn't happy. Here's your snow report for tonight. Milder temperatures across the province. Not a lot of new snow except a few key areas. Whistler, Blackcomb, Grouse, Cypress and Sasquatch. No new snow, but they should get some actually in the next 12 hours. Revelstoke did pick up 10 centimeters of fresh snow. Fernie, Manny Park and Whitewater with nothing new. Big White, Silver Star and Sun Peaks also nothing new, but at least temperatures aren't quite as cold as what they have seen so far this month. Kicking Horse, nothing new. Mount Washington should pick up snow in the next 12 hours. Powder King, though, does have a nice new 8 centimeters. Coming up on ET Canada, engagement news for J-Lo and A-Rod, plus weddings for Leah Michelle and Chance the Rapper. Plus, we're at the South by Southwest Festival with Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen, and Matthew McConaughey. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. All right, thank you, Sangeeta. So, social media is taking a bit of a beating these days for basically giving a voice to every angry, crazed lunatic with something to say. But it can be good, too. A story out of Texas about a loving son's sweet tweet about his father shows it can also make dreams come true. There was a hole in the heart of Billy's Donuts. The Houston area shop's grand opening had all the right ingredients except customers. Slow, very slow on the first day. Cambodian refugee Satharith Bai's cream-filled American dream was in jeopardy until son Billy tweeted this about his sad dad. In just three days, more than a half million likes. That original sparse sprinkling of customers has now grown out the door. My dad's back there. He's been up since 2 a.m. making donuts. Well, thank you. 
Spreading assorted smiles a baker's dozen at a time. It was so sweet, it actually like brought a tear to my eye. That's why I really why I did it, because I wanted to support them, support what he's done, and it's awesome. Chocolate. Billy's Donuts now sell like hotcakes. Chocolate, pink, the pink color. But do not despair. While Billy's sold out today, folks say they'll be back tomorrow for a cruller or a jelly and some old-fashioned neighborliness. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News. That's Kevin. awesome. It, it is, isn't it? And Kevin was going mad with the puns. Fits in, fits in <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. well around here, too. It's about this yeah. show, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, last word on weather with the uh, snowfall warning in effect. Yeah, so we're still watching and hoping, well, I am hoping for a transition to snow. I know you aren't, <laughs> um, but um, certainly higher elevations. We have had reports of higher elevations. Uh, Westwood Plateau already starting to see some snow. So that transition will continue to take place. We're expecting it to ease off overnight. For Metro Vancouver, Fraser Valley, still a chance of flurries in the morning, but otherwise, your Tuesday not looking too bad and the key is that things are going to warm up this week so lots to look forward to long time since we've seen 12 degrees on the board yes there, long right? time for double since double digits have happened no doubt okay <laughs> thanks very much Christy hope your week's off to a great start have a good night we'll see you tomorrow